Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast, episode 411, Tangible Mercy. This week, Steve is beginning a two-week series on the Beatitude, Blessed are the Merciful. We're going to learn that instead of Jesus just instructing us to be merciful, he's actually telling us that we are free to be merciful, just as our Father in Heaven is. Let's check it out. Tonight I'm teaching on what is really probably, uh, in terms of words, the shortest of the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. Um, this has been an interesting journey for me um, as I've prepared for this. They're always interesting, but this one has taken me into some deep things. Frankly, I'm, I've been challenged to try to find words for some of what's just rolling around in my, in my mind and I think in my spirit. Um, Mercy is at the very center of who God is, at the very center. It is much more than one of his attributes. Um, because it's at the center of who he is, I'm convinced that it is at the center of his creation, of the entire cosmos. And I think that this beatitude uh, points us toward and reflects the, the foundation of all the cosmos. I have increasingly come to believe over the last few years that there's a movement to the cosmos and it's always leaning into the creator. And as it leans in, it is about mercy and love and grace. I think it's really easy to read this beatitude somewhat superficially. Um, somehow that we can, without even thinking about it, we can, we can equate being merciful with being nice, uh, with being, uh, easy to get along with, uh, with being a, a caring kind of person. And, and honestly, don't we all tend to think of ourselves that way? Um, but as I've read and as I've prayed and just been still a lot, uh, studying this beatitude, I've realized that we are headed into some really deep waters, really deep waters. I think that's why I'm challenged to find language for, for some of what's going on with me. I think this beatitude, because of who God is, because He is mercy, um, because His creation reflects perfectly Him, I think we're headed into deep waters that, that even somehow go beyond the character of God. There are many attributes to God, uh, omnipotence, immutability, etc., etc. There's lots of books written about it. But this beatitude has taken me deeper than his attributes, deeper than his character. I, I think this beatitude, if we allow it to, will, will lead us into the very essence of God. Even deeper and beyond his attributes. Into his inner being. Into his true nature. And I believe that God's essence is infinitely beyond our comprehension. It is his transcendence. It is his otherness. I said uh, a few weeks ago when we were talking about blessed are those who mourn. Uh, 
that there's a mourning as we press into God because there's an incredible richness, but at the same time we realize there's an otherness. And I think this beatitude on his mercy, again, takes us into his essence, his transcendence, his otherness. And and his essence is is definitely beyond our comprehension, but uh, the early church fathers, the early theologians talked about his essence and his energy. And although his essence is, is so transcendent and beyond us, his energies are his activities. They're his power. They are him at work in the cosmos. And uh, we can perceive and experience uh, those energies. Jesus the eternal second person of the Trinity is the perfect reflection, the the perfect revelation of who the Father is. He reflects perfectly. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that. John's prologue tells us that. It's been a theme when we looked at the mystery of Christ. And because he is the perfect representative of the Trinity, and even that word isn't quite right, he is Trinity. And because he is Trinity, and Trinity is merciful at at the very core of the Trinity is mercy, Therefore, when Jesus walked this earth, what he lived, what he moved in, what he spoke was mercy because he is mercy. He's more than merciful. He is, at the deepest level, mercy. And it was because he is mercy that he, that he healed the sick, that, that he, he raised the dead, uh, it was out of mercy when he saw um, the the widow, the the procession, the funeral procession, and she she saw the widow weeping because her son had died. It was his mercy that he went and touched the son and raised him. The same with Jairus's daughter. It uh, it's why he fed the hungry again and again and again. It says he was moved with compassion and he fed the hungry. It's why he forgave his executioners on the cross. Mercy is who he is. Who Christ and the Trinity is mercy. So <coughs> with that as, as kind of an intro to let you into a little bit of what I've been processing What do we mean by the word mercy? Surely it means more than being nice or being whatever. So I'll give you a couple of definitions uh, that I simply got um, from dictionaries. Uh, Mercy is compassionate or kindly forbearance shown to an offender or to an enemy. Uh, or shown to any other person that it is in one's power to be merciful. Uh, it, it also reflects compassion 
or benevolence. It is the disposition to be compassionate or forbearing. We would call forbearance patience. It is the discretionary power of a judge to pardon someone or to mitigate punishment. Uh, it is an act of kindness, compassion, or favor. There's a number of words um, in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, that are translated mercy. Um, the primary one, probably, is uh, kesed, which means mercy, tenderness, kindness, unconditional love. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about this later, but but the the meaning of of compassion and mercy is a much more closely linked than I realized. And so as I went pretty carefully through some of the Old Testament passages, whether it's translated compassion or mercy, it's all coming from the same word. It's somewhat like last week uh, when we talked about justice and righteousness. So said, <coughs> pardon me, the main word for mercy in the New Testament is eleos. This has been a word that's fascinated me for a long time. Um, uh, some of us from our background, we know of a prayer, uh, the Kyrie eleison, which means, Lord, have mercy. Part of my own prayer time, several times a week, I pray, Lord, have mercy. I pray, Christ, have mercy. So, with this definition, let me carry it just a little bit further. Mercy begins by opening oneself to those with whom one might strongly disagree. And that jumped at me because I am so aware of the polarization. Um, and I know I'm speaking to folks from different nations around the world, but the polarization in the nation where I'm living right now, the United States, is profound. And that's not any radical statement. It's spoken of in the media all the time. We're watching right now with the pandemic, this polarization. It seemed to go down for a while. It's like we were all in this together, and now it's starting to fragment, to polarize. There are those who say, you know, we need to carry on with the lockdown, and there are those who say, no, we need to, we need to get business going. And there's, there's this polarization. Well, mercy begins by opening oneself up to those who might strongly disagree with us. And some of us, the way we're wired, that's a hard part of mercy. But mercy doesn't end there, of course. It begins with, with small acts of understanding, uh, which can lead to life-changing experiences um, of love. So it often begins with that, and then it grows from there. There's a, a theologian, he wrote a very well-known systematic theology, a fellow named Erickson. He said, God's mercy is his tender-hearted, loving compassion for his people. It is his tenderness of heart toward the needy. Now, generally speaking, even though, as I said, the, the, the words are so similar in the Hebrew and even in the Greek, generally speaking, compassion is a deep feeling. I've talked 
to you in the past about splanchnizomai. Those of you who've known me for a few years, we sometimes joke about that word. But it's a deep feeling. But it then, compassion, this deep feeling, motivates us, propels us forward to acts of mercy. So, mercy is action that comes from a heart attitude. And... uh, and that's kind of the difference between compassion and mercy. At the same time, they overlap. You know, uh, at least two translations uh, of tonight's beatitude use the word compassion. Blessed are the compassionate, for they shall receive compassion. That's how close they are. Well, having got our terms set up, I want to talk a little bit about God and mercy. And as I start this, I realize there is so much more to say here, but You remember back in uh, Exodus 34, there was this incredible exchange in 33 and 34, really 32 to 34, between Moses and God. And as they come through it, Moses says, okay, I want to ask you for something. Let me see your glory. Let me see what you're really, really like. And, um, And as he passed, And I believe that was Jesus. I think that's a Christology. Because scripture again and again says no one can see God. That means the Father, what theologians call the original source. But I believe it was God, fully God, the second person of the Trinity, who who passed Moses. And as he did, God revealed his character and his essence. Let me read the passage to you. So Moses is saying, show me your glory. Show me who you really are. And as he passes by, he's saying, this is who I really am. And the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, merciful, number one, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands. That's who he is. There are dozens, scores of verses, but let me just give you just a a couple of them here. Psalm 85. Wonderful psalm. Um, Righteousness and justice coming together and so forth. But Psalm 85, 6 and 15 says this, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all who call upon you. That's verse 6. Verse 15. But you, Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. This consistent understanding of who He is at His essence. Now, if you look at those verses I just gave you, you'll see a connection. Mercy is connected to forgiveness. And uh, mercy is connected with long-suffering or patience. Uh, mercy is connected with graciousness. I want to give you another little example. If you read Exodus, right after the Ten Commandments are given, in, uh, chapter 20, following there, a couple of chapters later, begins the description from the Lord of how to build the tabernacle (coughs) and its various furnishings, but also about the ark. 
and very specific directions. And in the ark are the, the Ten Commandments. So the ark is really represents and is equivalent to the law. But if you look at the instructions of how the ark is built, over the ark was the mercy seat. Over the law was mercy. James 2.13 says, Mercy triumphs, triumphs over judgment. The law was given to teach and protect God's people. But mercy is at the heart, the essence of God, not law. Mercy covers everything. Let me give you another one. Jonah. Remember Jonah, he, I'll know the story, he, he goes to sea, there's a storm, he's thrown overboard, he's swallowed by a great fish. He's supposed to prophesy to Nineveh, the Assyrian capital, and he does. But then they repent, and so God doesn't bring the judgment. And Jonah chapter 4, the last chapter, is basically about him just being ticked off, and sulking because God didn't judge Nineveh. Verse 1 to 3. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you'd do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. Listen, I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Now, because it is God who holds all of creation together, which I started by talking about tonight, because God is holding all of this together, Every breath we take is a declaration of his continuing and unwavering mercy toward all that he has made. Um, there's a song, uh, Praise the Lord, O My Soul, uh, which is from Psalm 145.9, that he has mercy or compassion on all that he has made. So what I'm trying to open up for you is, that as I am on my journey into the depths of Christ, into the depths of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that I'm becoming more aware of His tangible mercy that holds everything together. So, so when I breathe, when I'm in my quiet time and I breathe in, you're in me, and I breathe out, I'm in you. When I breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, and I breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner. As I, as I breathe, every breath is a declaration of the mercy of God, the deep mercy of God over all that He has created. And I, I would encourage you to get quiet with Him and begin to ask Him to reveal His mercy that is all around you. 
This is why it's so important that we live with a very real and immediate uh, awareness of his presence, which means of his mercy, his loving kindness. So why is it so important that we do this? It's because Luke 6, 36, where Jesus said, be merciful as your father is merciful. So we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But he says, be like your father. Well, then we need to begin to ask the, the Lord to reveal the depth and breadth and height and length of his mercy and his love and his grace. Remember, I've told you all the way through this series that the Beatitudes are really a, a biography of Jesus. Uh, he's the full revelation of who the Trinity is. Um, Jesus expressed mercy in both word and action. So this biography of him, we see it in the Beatitudes, but we of course see it lived out in the Gospels. People came to Jesus. This really hit me this week. People came to Jesus because they knew he was merciful. They knew deep down he was merciful. Again and again, if you look through the, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, people are coming to him and crying out, have mercy on me, Lord. Have mercy on me. Bartimaeus, when he cried out, son of David, have mercy on me, everybody just said, oh, be quiet. You're just a blind beggar. And he shouted all the louder. And of course, we know he received his healing, but he shouted all the louder. I think that's uh, Luke 18. Because he was absolutely convinced of the mercy of God in Christ. The Canaanite woman or Syrophoenician. Um, I think it's Matthew 15. She says, you know, heal my daughter. Have mercy on me, Lord. Have mercy on me. The man with the demonized son. Lord, have mercy on me. The two blind men. Again and again and again. The point is, people who were around him knew that he was mercy. That he lived mercy. His life is in you and in me. And therefore, the mercy of God is always available as a life source within us. And that challenges me when I'm not feeling merciful, when I'm feeling impatient, one of my specialties, when, when I am bothered, whatever it may be. No, you're in me and I'm in you. 164 times Paul said that we are in Christ. So the life source, he is mercy. That life source is available. That's why I see, be merciful just as your father is merciful, Luke 6.36 again. I see it as a promise more than an admonition or a, a, a command. It's a promise. You can be merciful just as your father is merciful. So if Christ is in all things, then his mercy is available and to see and to experience in all things, which includes other people. If he's in all, 
And Colossians 1, 15 to 20 stresses that again and again and again. That word all. We see it a lot in Ephesians 2 and 3 as well. But if he's in all things, he's in all people, which may shock us. But it means that we are uh, his mercy is available to see and experience in others. St. Siloan, uh, who's a fairly recent saint, he was just canonized, oh, I think about uh, a little over 100 years ago, I think. But he said this, Through Christ's love, everyone is made an inseparable part of our own eternal existence. Do you hear that? Everyone is part of yours and my eternal existence. For the Son of Man has taken within himself all mankind. I'm going to read it one more time. Through Christ's love, everyone is made an inseparable part of our own eternal existence. For the Son of Man has taken within himself all mankind. I remember in the 90s, uh, a man named Ralph Neighbor wrote several books, but he used to always greet people like this. He would say, the Christ in me welcomes the Christ in you. He's saying the same thing as St. Siloan, just more modern words. So the, the mercy and God and, and uh, were just skimming a stone across the surface of this. But he is mercy. So now, let's talk about mercy and us because of this beatitude. It's interesting, the two most famous parables of Jesus are the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son. The people who have never read the Bible, they just know those parables because they've entered our culture, our Western culture. (coughs) And what is interesting is, that they were about receiving and recognizing mercy. The uh, prodigal son was about uh, receiving and recognizing God's mercy, and the good Samaritan was about giving it away. What you receive, you give. Jesus blesses the merciful, which are those who are learning to live from God's life source. He blesses them. The Lord shows us mercy continually. Therefore, as his disciples, we must show mercy wherever and whenever we can. I've told you through this whole series that the order of these Beatitudes is not haphazard. It's not random. It's very, very intentional that many of the church fathers saw it as a ladder. Some of them tied it back to... um, Genesis 28, where Jacob sees a ladder with the angels of God ascending and descending. Um, But they're a ladder. And, And so one builds on the next. It's a ladder that's leading us further and further up into who Christ really is, bringing us into relationship with him and bringing us into that life source I'm talking about. So the poor in spirit... They recognize their great need. They come to the end of themselves. They say, I am needy. And then the next one is those who mourn will be comforted. 
And we've talked about that, that, that there's a, there's a range of thought among theologians that, that, that basically is covered with this. Either they're mourning over their own sin or they're mourning for the sin in the world and the great damage that it does, uh, the pain that it, that it causes. So we move from being poor in spirit to mourning, a deep mourning. And then that leads us into a place of, of meekness, of, as Paul says, not thinking more than we should of ourselves, but a meekness that, uh, that is about acceptance, is about, is about uh, not trying to be anything, but uh, recognizing who we are acknowledging our failures and our weakness. Uh, the meek are merciful because of this, because they acknowledge their weakness and failure. And then the next beatitude, which we looked at last week, is blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, after justice. And, and they're... In part, it's, it's their own righteousness. They're, it's part of that is repentant. They're just, oh God, I want to be, uh, I want to be righteous. Oh God, I want to be a just woman, a just man. They're repentant. And so the, the, the repentant have a heart for the need of others. Repentance tends to then lead us to be other centered of those who are suffering injustice. <coughs> Pardon me. John Stott made an interesting statement. He said, We cannot truly claim to be repentant for our sins and yet be unmerciful toward the sins of others. Boy, that's something to think about, isn't it? At Impact Nations, we have the privilege of going into the developing world to deliver the good news that mercy triumphs over judgment. And sometimes people are pretty shocked by that. Uh, and I can't think of a better example of that than during our journeys of compassion to Kenya, uh, that's specifically for women. And during these journeys, we usually do them every fall. Uh, a team of women will go into the streets of Nakuru, Kenya, and they'll interact with women who are living a life of prostitution, often forced prostitution, uh, and give them the good news that Jesus is inviting them into a whole new abundant life. And I was on the phone with Mike uh, earlier this week. You guys know Mike, regular listeners of the podcast. Uh, he's been a guest on this podcast before, as recently as just a few weeks ago. And uh, Mike is our host in Kenya. He was giving me a follow-up report on uh, something that happened during the journey of compassion just in late 2019, during our women's journey. Uh, the team of women that was out encountered a woman named Margaret, who was working the street uh, as a prostitute. She'd been, uh, been working the streets for about eight years when we encountered her. Uh, and she was pregnant at the time. She thought she had no recourse uh, with this pregnancy. She she knew that raising a child in these circumstances was not going to be a good fit. Uh, she knew pregnancy wasn't going to work, so she thought she had no recourse. She'd already scheduled an abortion, I think for the next day, actually, when our team encountered her. And uh, our our folks, the Impact Nations team, began to just share with her hope in Christ that mercy does indeed triumph over judgment. 
They invited her to, to walk away from life on the streets and to enjoy a new abundant life in Christ where she would get uh, the counseling she needed. She would get some, some basic business training and then get some startup funds to start her own business. Well, Mike was just telling me today, uh, he sent me a photo uh, with Margaret uh, and her baby, Christina. Uh, she did not choose to abort the baby, of course, uh, had the baby, uh, was able to finish the program. She graduated in March, has since started her own business. She's selling perfume and jewelry. Uh, the father of the baby has since uh, been saved and they are scheduled to get married in a few short months. So Margaret's life has completely changed because somebody came and told her that mercy triumphs over judgment, that she is always welcome. The kingdom of God is inclusive. And we invited her in. That was only possible because of our Daughters of Destiny program, our Daughters of Destiny fund. Um, through that fund, we're able to uh, provide a night away from the streets. So usually uh, our team will invite a number of women, sometimes as many as 80 to 100 women, to come away from the streets. They will pay their night's wages. They will provide a, a snack or a meal and then share the gospel. Uh, and those who respond, uh, we're able to get them uh, a safe night away in a hotel and then get them plugged in uh, the very next day into our Daughters of Destiny program where they're going to get ongoing counseling and housing and things like that. Um, this year, we've got a story inside the Impact Nation's Christmas catalog. Uh, if you haven't received your copy in the mail, let us know. It's probably because we don't have your address. So uh, you could just shoot us a line at... Uh, podcast at impactnations.com and we'll be sure to get your address and get one out to you in the mail or you can just shop online at impactnations.com slash christmas uh, and there's a story in there about another woman who was saved uh, through the daughters of destiny program uh, but things like this uh, margaret's story wouldn't be possible without the funds that we had available to us to be able to get her a night away from the streets and begin to tell her about Jesus. So if you'd like to participate in something like that, why don't you head to impactnations.com slash Christmas, and you can read about stories that change a destiny, uh, and you can participate in this Daughters of Destiny program. And now, back to the podcast. So I want to look a little more, go a lot deeper, actually, on what's mercy and us. I came from a church tradition after I met the Lord, that really, really, really stressed maturity. Um, and by that, uh, we met spiritual disciplines. I've got so many books on spiritual disciplines. Uh, we were even talking about being the best example on our block, being, in one sense, living a better life than our neighbors. Uh, one of our theme verses was Colossians 1.28, where Paul said, I want to present... Uh, each man um, mature or perfect. I, uh, I've often felt stuck in the Sermon on the Mount. I used to feel stuck in the Sermon on the Mount by the last verse in chapter 5 uh, of Matthew. Uh, Be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. I thought, oi, they. But the word is teleos. And it's the very same word for Colossians 28. Be mature. 
just as your father is mature. However, remember I told you that we need to look at the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain on Matthew and Luke's version uh, to get a proper perspective. And in Luke's version, Luke 6, 36, the, the verse I briefly referenced earlier, Jesus said, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. So, of course, since the essence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is mercy, remember his response when Moses said, I want to see your glory, I want to see who you really are, the Lord, the Lord, full of mercy. Here's the interesting thing, and we see Jesus through the Gospels with, with the religious people coming at this again and again and again. What religion, what the religious people was looking for was where I started years ago, which is living a disciplined life, obeying the law. Uh, it was maturity by human standards, uh, which always is comparative standards. If you live by that, I promise you, you were always looking over your shoulder and ahead to compare, am I more righteous? Am I more knowledgeable? Am I more accomplished? Or am I less righteous and less accomplished? But this was not Jesus' standard. When he was confronted by the religious people, and the, there's two times he quotes Hosea 6.6, 6, which is in Matthew 9.13 and 12.7. And I especially love 9.13, but they both do the same thing. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, elios, and not sacrifice, not religion and the religious system. Um, he was quoting Hosea 6.6, 6, and this has been called the, the social focal point of the Old Testament. And, uh, and I think I could, I could buy that. Um, along with Micah 6.8, which we'll talk about in a minute. But when he said, go and learn a new way, go and learn, I desire Elios, mercy, and not religious activity. You see, religious activity, sacrifice, uh, spiritual discipline, this is religion as an act of the will. And it always, it has to lead to uh, superiority, because the goal is I want to do better than the next person. And therefore, separation. Religious superiority, religious sacrifice, means separation. Ultimately, I've shared with you before, I said gospel is always inclusive, religion is always exclusive, even when it looks nice. Even when it sounds nice, it says, if you want to be with us, you've got to be like us, you've got to talk like us, you've got to believe like us. But gospel says, come as you are. Gospel says, you come too. Mercy, so gospel, is about superiority and, and therefore separation. But mercy is an act of the heart. Mercy never seeks separation. Mercy seeks identification with others. 
with all others. When Jesus said, I want mercy and not sacrifice, he was saying, I want humanity and not your spirituality. Boy, does that come up against some of what we've lived with. He says, I don't want your spirituality. I want your humanity. Dale Bruner says this, Jesus is not looking for morally tougher disciples. Man, that's what I thought the point was. For the first 15 years of being a believer and then trying to make disciples, I was trying to help either be and create morally tough disciples. He doesn't want them. He's looking for mercifully softer disciples. Not morally tougher, but mercifully softer. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus again is talking with religion. And he says, Oh, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you're hypocrites, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. That was such a pivotal passage when it finally got into me. Jesus says, this is what matters. Justice, mercy, faith. Isn't this uh, Micah 6.8? He's already told you, O man, what the Lord desires. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. To really focus our hearts and minds on the mercy of God, protects us from the great temptation of trying to feel better about ourselves through our efforts. Inevitably, this leads to judging others because it inevitably leads to scorekeeping. I start to keep score on myself and then I start to see how my scorecard compares with yours. That's why Jesus said, don't judge Don't do that. People who live in God's life source of mercy get free from judging. Uh, Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of chapter 7, he says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you'll be treated as you treat others. Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. You'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you'll be judged. So, what does mercy actually look like? Even what does it feel like? I want to give you a few quotes. St. Gregory, a church father who I like very, very much, St. Gregory of Nyssa. And uh, he was writing in the uh, second half of the 300s. And he said this. He said that mercy is voluntary sorrow. It joins itself to the suffering of others. Mercy is a loving disposition toward others. And this is both attitude and action in what he's talking about. Another church father said this, The merciful counts others' misery as his own, and is sad at their grief as at his own. So their pain, their sadness becomes his. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, so I'm giving you 20th century, uh, incredible 
incredible leader and, 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 and writer and theologian and pastor. If you've never read The Cost of Discipleship, I would encourage you to do it. He said this, The merciful have an irresistible love for the downtrodden, the sick, the wretched, the outcast of society. To realize the mercy of God on the cross is to forget our own honor and dignity. Isn't that interesting? The religious leaders were not upset at what Jesus said about the outcasts. For them, it didn't matter. It was that he lived his life with them. That's what drove them crazy. What's he doing with that prostitute? What's he doing with that tax collector? To be merciful must go beyond kind thoughts. Um, it's got to go beyond kind thoughts even about the outcast, about the, the poor, about the disenfranchised. To be merciful, folks, is to identify and to associate, be with the outcast and the poor. That's what it means. That's why these Beatitudes are so challenging. I can read them, you know, in, in whatever, a minute or two, and they just can skim on the surface. But if we stop, they challenge our lives, our hearts, our life source, our actions. Gregory says that one reason Jesus calls us uh, to, uh, to live with the, the love, the charity, uh, and sympathy of mercy is because of the inequalities of life. Really interesting. He says there are inequalities in life. There are inequalities of opportunities, of finances, of geography. I would add race. Look at how this is playing out. I was in a discussion again today. Uh, statistically, it is shocking the percentage of North Americans that are of minority, uh, whether they're Native American, whether they're black, whether they're Hispanic, that, 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 so I would add race because the percentage is so much higher of infection among them. Um, <coughs> Gregory wrote that if we really lived by the Beatitudes, this is amazing, folks. Listen to this. Gregory said, if we really live by the Beatitudes, life would no longer be lived in diametrically opposite ways. Men would no longer be distressed by want or humiliated by slavery. We live in a time uh, by a, a country mile. The gap between the rich and the poor in the West has never remotely been this wide. He's saying if we would live by the Beatitudes, there would, we would no longer live life in diametrically opposite ways. Uh, Paul said this in, in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, pardon me, 8, 14 and 15, and it's a passage that I love. When I used to pastor, we used to have this verse in the, uh, in the foyer. And we would have a, a barrel, we call it the little much barrel. Did it for years and years and years in church after church. And it was based on this passage that Paul's talking about, which is linked to what, what was just said by Gregory. 
Right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later they will have plenty and can share with you when they need it. In this way, things will be equal. And here's the verse we used to post. As the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Mercy to be authentic must go beyond thoughts and lead to action. And from the time of the early church, this has been true. This is part of what is touching us so deeply as we're working with our partners on the front lines. Many of you know this. We just uh, went into another nation uh, last week, Colombia. Uh, we may be going into Bulgaria. To, and in every case, we're going to the poorest of the poor of the poor. We're going to people sometimes have not had a morsel of food for four days. The woman with 17 kids she was taking care of and, and didn't know what to do. And by the mercy of God and the generosity of people all over the world, we've been able to get, I told you last week, as of last week, it was 423,000 plus meals to people that are not just uncomfortable, they're on the edge of starvation. And so I believe that mercy to be authentic must go beyond thoughts and into action. Mercy and forgiveness. There's another aspect. Jesus repeatedly called everyone who wanted to follow him to forgive. Peter says, well, how many times do I have to forgive him? Seven times? He says, oh, Peter, 70 times seven. Um, the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses, our debts, our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. He told a famous story in Matthew 18 of, of someone who owed a huge debt and, and uh, he couldn't pay it. He said, oh, have mercy on me, master. And he forgave the huge debt. But then that same man went out and, and there was someone poorer than him who had a small debt and he wouldn't and who also said, please have mercy. And he wouldn't. And he threw him into debtor's prison. And when the master heard about it, of course, it did not go well for this fellow. Um, the story illustrates that when we really see our true state, when we really see our great need for forgiveness, that Christ in his mercy has forgiven us. This is the work of the cross we'll talk about in a minute. When we really see it, then we need to give to others what we have received. Mercy comes from receiving mercy. Uh, there's, there's, there's like this circle in Matthew 18. You receive and you give and you receive and you give. And our actions reveal our hearts. Mercy and forgiveness as concepts are really easy. It's easy to say, oh, I'm all for mercy. I'm all for forgiveness. But... But when we're confronted with having to forgive a really difficult situation, uh, we die a little bit, which I think we're supposed to. You know, at, at the end, I, I've shared this before, but it, it, right at the end of the Lord's Prayer, verse 15, Jesus says, Oh, and by the way, if you don't forgive, your Father won't forgive. And, and that's not the Father being vindictive or saying you're being bad. It, it goes back to where I started. He is mercy. He is love. He is forgiveness. That's the whole movement 
of the triune God. It's the movement. It's the way he's always moving. It's the way his creation is designed to move. When I say I just can't forgive that guy, it's like I'm going upstream. I step away from where his grace and his forgiveness and his love is. I choose to be over there. And so I can't receive what he has for us because I'm moving away from it rather than into it. Don't forget, all of creation carries the DNA of the Creator. God, the merciful, touches all of creation. So that's mercy and forgiveness. Let me just say a little bit about mercy and kindness. I used to read the New American Standard Bible. It was my daily Bible for, oh, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years. And it, more than any other translation, used the word loving kindness. And I, I love that word, loving kindness. It's a rich, rich word. Mercy and kindness are so linked that mercy has been called the parent of kindness. Merciful people live and express kindness to others. They're, they're not at all tight-fisted with their mercy. They live out of kindness. Kindness is in our attitude, if we're merciful. It's in our disposition. It's the way we interact with others. Kindness sees what's best in others. It sees Christ in them. Kindness is an aspect of mercy that usually results in the blessing of receiving kindness back. It's like it bounces back to you. If you operate in kindness, you operate in mercy, that's reciprocal. That's what starts to come back to you. Kindness is the way that that we operate so that people don't feel like they owe us or they're obliged to us because we've been merciful. Kindness just makes mercy so easy. Kindness is also really, really powerful. Uh, A dear friend of mine, uh, his life verse is Romans 2.4. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And and he showed me that more than 30 years ago, and I've watched it and I try to live it. I've seen the power of kindness. That's why I like to go out to areas, especially needy areas, and just do, no, not big deal, small acts of kindness. Because kindness and mercy are linked. Remember I said to you before that uh, kindness is the parent, or rather mercy is the parent of kindness. Another aspect of mercy is rescue. Jesus continually rescued. He rescued when he healed, when he fed. We're rescuing lives right now. Uh, He rescued lives when he accepted and welcomed people. The merciful are rescuers. His last public sermon was uh, in Matthew, was uh, Matthew 25. And that's where he, the famous sheep and the goats, And he outlined what rescue looks like. Rescue feeds the hungry, gets water to the thirsty, clothes the naked, visits the prisoner, invites the stranger in. Rescue and mercy are like this. Mercy looks like something. 
It doesn't just feel like something. It looks like something. Let's talk one more aspect of, of mercy, which is uh, of rescue, rather, which is rescue in the cross. Now, I took a number of weeks on, on this in the series on the mystery of Christ, so I'm not going to go over the cross tonight. But if you want to, go to the podcast on the website and uh, episode in the third year of the podcast, episode 311 through 16 is on the cross. And uh, if you haven't listened to that, let it go, take you deep into what the cross was about. But let me just say this much. The cross is the highest revelation of who God is. This is the ultimate act of mercy. He rescued not only you and I, but he reconciled, he rescued the entire cosmos. Paul wrote this. This is a bit of a lengthy quote, but this is Ephesians 2, 4-7. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm because we're united with Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us the cross is the ultimate rescue so just as we're coming to the end we've looked we've at least begun to look at what mercy means but then the second half is the promise blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy Blessing at several levels is released in the lives of the merciful. Let me list them quickly because I'm aware of the time. Number one, mercy is reciprocal. What people receive from you and I, they tend to give back. Mercy, kindness, lack of judgment, forgiveness. Secondly, the gratitude of those who receive mercy from you will go on with them into eternal life. This was something that uh, St. Gregory of Nyssa pointed out, and I went, wow. That their gratitude, their interaction with you, that gratitude will last for all eternity. They'll carry it with them as we are with them in the age to come. Number three, Galatians 6, 7, whatever a man sows, he will also reap. This is a universal principle. This is like the law of gravity. It's a cosmic law. Sooner or later, whatever we sow will reap. What you sow is seed, and the seed is my choice. My choice. The harvest, both in this life and in eternal life, is the result of that choice. Paul encouraged the church, So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That's Galatians 6, 9. Number four, Jesus is teaching us about our future and eternal life. Our mercy now will lead to great and ultimate blessing. 
Number five, but I also believe that Jesus is telling us that it is a blessing for us to live this way now. This is the way life was meant to be lived. This is, again, us moving in the rhythm of God, who is mercy, and his creation that is made for mercy. So it it releases blessing right now. And six, one of the church fathers pointed out another aspect of blessing. We bless others with our limited human capacity. This releases in our lives the unlimited, extravagant, eternal blessing of God. In other words, it is a blessing of infinite increase. Now let me briefly conclude this. As I said at the beginning, this beatitude showed me that we are uh, headed into really deep waters. Deeper even than the attributes of God, but to the very essence, his inner being. This is so far beyond feeling good about ourselves or others. This is so far beyond being nice. This beatitude calls us to both issues of the heart and the hands. After all, the Good Samaritan, which I referenced earlier, is a story of kindness in action. We know that. But as a response to the story, it expressly states the one who showed mercy to him. Jesus said, this is mercy. And yet I think there's more to be said about this merciful, compassionate God who expresses his mercy to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So as of right now, I think I want to try to, to, to turn it a little bit and touch a little bit on, on the depths, the depths of Christ's mercy and how that was released. So I, I think we may do a part two on Blessed are the Merciful. Well, that concludes another episode of the Impact Nations podcast. Be sure to join us again next week when we pick up with part two of Blessed are the Merciful. In the meantime, don't forget to check out the Impact Nations Christmas catalog. You can do that at impactnations.com slash Christmas, where you'll be able to give gifts towards our Daughters of Destiny program or all sorts of different things. You can give the gift of clean water, of medicine, uh, business loans, all sorts of things. So again, impactnations.com slash Christmas. See how you can join us in rescuing lives. If you've got a question for Steve or for one of our upcoming guests, uh, be sure to send us an email at podcast at impactnations.com, and we'll be sure to include that in our upcoming discussion. In a couple weeks, we've got an interview with Brian Zond we're really looking forward to. Thanks. Have a great one.